Shame Roulette. We're going to play Shame Roulette. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's exactly what it is. This is Two Watermelons in a Sack, a podcast exploring the lived experience of men and the parts of it we rarely talk about. We're going to try to expand the norms of what we can be truthful about. And we're going to do this with as much vulnerability as we can stand. Part of why we are sharing this conversation is because we believe that exposing shame to friendship Mm -hmm. um, helps dissolve it. Yeah. It's something that we, by we, I mean Jason and I talk about. Um, But I don't know that we've ever talked about it much in a sustained way. Yeah. But we thought that maybe this time around we could do a bit of a a shame inventory. (laughs) (laughs) We basically made a list of things that might potentially touch on shame in some kind of way. And so we just wrote them down on little slips of paper and threw them in a a cup. And so we were just going to like pull them out at random and see what comes up. Yeah. (laughs) Because on this one, we really couldn't get anybody (laughs) who wanted to talk about this. (laughs) All right, go ahead. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. All right. I'll draw for both of us. Okay, Okay. so. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right, well, I got being sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Being sensitive, we're... Where's the shame in that? Yeah, where's the shame in that? Well, um, I remember myself always being a really sensitive kid. Cried for anything and everything. Um, Cried if I didn't get my way. Cried if I got hurt. Cried if, um, you know, if I saw a factory dumping garbage into the into the river <laughs> and, 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 you know, being, being sad for the, for the fish that would, that would, that would die. Um, and, uh, I remember, uh, I remember my mom loving that part of me and being so moved and supportive. Um, but I also remember most people feeling very uncomfortable around that, particularly my dad. Um, and, I think I just grew up being really embarrassed about being someone that felt things really strongly and deeply. So I guess the the conclusion from all that is that I am the way I am because something's wrong with me and I just need to be different. I need to try to be different or at least I need to try to appear differently because not all of me is, uh, is acceptable. (laughs) or convenient for the people around me. So fast forward to the present day, and I see a pattern in myself of um, getting into these really intense conversations and feeling like I lose empathy for the people that I'm in conversation with. It doesn't matter if they're my family or or friends or business partner. Uh Um, I start noticing that at a certain point, all I care about is winning the argument. How does that connect and, with um, the shame of being sensitive? 
Yeah. So, so <laughs> I realized at a certain point, and this is after many conversations and kind of noticing that even though I could justify why I was upset and whatnot and explain it to people and they would seem to understand, there was something about the way I was showing up that just seemed to erode the trust in these relationships. And I started feeling really bad about that. I was like, what am I, like, why do I feel like I'm hurting people that I care about? Why, are, why do I feel like people that I care about are, are afraid to have these conversations with me? And I realized that um, my anger wasn't just about feeling righteous. My anger was about the fact that I was actually hurt in those conversations. I was feeling hurt. I was feeling that my idea wasn't being taken into consideration or that, or that, I, that I wasn't being valued or respected but instead of saying, shit, that really hurt my feelings, mm. I would get angry mm -hmm. and get scary. And so you just kind of roll over people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, I, and it was just recently, I, relatively very recently, I realized that I was so embarrassed to share, to tell someone that I was hurt, that I was sensitive to what they were saying, that I would rather hurt them Mm -hmm. I would rather scare them and intimidate them <laughs> than than just say my feelings were hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I have more of an avoidance response to to those kinds of feelings and situations. Um, but uh, I am also sensitive about getting my feelings hurt. I mean, everybody is, right? But my way of coping with it, I've realized over the years, is to essentially avoid all situations that are likely to bring that about. And many of the situations that are likely to bring that about are situations that involve other men. <laughs> so the result is that, you know, until pretty recently, until we started doing the men's retreats, I uh, really avoided male spaces um, as a way of avoiding getting my feelings hurt. Um, and I don't think I was really able to name that or recognize that that's, you know, what I was doing. And just the way I would uh, account for that is to say that I, uh, I like women more. I connect more easily with women. Um, that uh, women are more interesting people. I have more to talk about with them, which is true too. But part of the reason it's true is because of the other thing, <laughs> you know, um, is because it's a less shame-inducing environment to be in, you know. Pull another one. Yeah, let's keep it rolling. All right. So that was that was being sensitive. Um, okay. So Eric, um, losing your hair. Where's the shame in that? <laughs> Ooh, where's the shame in that? I mean, I mean that's vanity, right? Um, I mean, Jason and I are on sort of opposite sides of the fence as far as the lived reality of that goes, but. <laughs> um, 
that doesn't mean I'm bald. I'm bald, and Eric has hair, a lot of hair. <laughs> That's what he means. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do have a lot of hair, but I also do have a significant amount of anxiety around losing it. Now, the men on my mom's side of the family have hair, and so from what I understand about the way this works genetically. I don't have a lot to worry about, but it's still interesting to notice that I, I, I think about it, and when I think about it, there's anxiety that accompanies that. Like, what's my, what, what am I going to do about my hairstyle? And am I, am I going to be one of those guys with long dreads and a bald spot? Am I going to shave my head? Am I going to, you know, what's, what's going to be the answer to that you know the shame of not looking good in the way that i want to look good is a real thing you know uh, it's definitely one of those false standards right and yet the feeling of shame definitely you know rides rides shotgun with it the only thing i'll add to that is that um I've been bald for, uh, or I've, I've shaved my head for, for the past <laughs> about 10 years, right? Give or take. And um, I did it because I just, I had to. Uh, I don't really, I don't think about it. I kind of like it. It's convenient. There are these moments where I, feel, I sometimes feel like, oh man, you know, like, uh, I, I wish I had the option. Um, but then I show people pictures of myself with hair when I had like long hair. <laughs> And their reaction is like the best medicine for that because they're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so I got, you know, they're like, all right, you're, you're, you're fine. You're fine uh, the way you are. Yeah. Um, anyway. I mean, there, there's another facet of this for me. I don't know if this one is in, the, is in the cup somewhere too. But being a tall, bald guy is different from being a short, bald guy. Okay, just and, side note. So I'm tall and Eric's not. <laughs> Just so we're clear. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that's all there is to say about that. Like, you know, if I lose my hair, what what the world is left with is a short, bald guy. (laughs) So hold on. Before we move on, can I just ask? So where is the shame in that? Right? Being tall is a standard. It's a standard of some kind of success. I mean, it's, 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 it's a beauty standard, essentially. Like, it's a marker of beauty for men. Yeah, I mean, there are some women who dig short guys, I guess. But generally speaking, um, it's never put forth as any kind of standard to aspire to. Nobody has a, a, a boy and says, look, <laughs> I hope he grows up to be 5'6". Like, no one has ever said that. So it's literally not measuring up. Mm-hmm. And in that specific case, like what, what happens if you don't? If you don't measure up? Measure up. Well, I mean, there's certainly material consequences to it. I was about to say I'm less concerned with those than the psychological consequences, but they're actually tied together, right? Because, you know, your life time earning potential is higher if you're taller, right? And um, that's also a beauty standard for men. 
is 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 material wealth. So um, being short, it's it's a it's a form of it's a form of ugliness that leads to ugliness, you know. Yeah. And so it, there's there's that uphill battle that you have to wage towards feeling right with oneself when you have that kind of deficit, because yeah, false standard. It doesn't actually mean anything in terms of what kind of person I actually am. It doesn't have any bearing on, you know, whether I'm a good husband to my wife or a good father to my kids or a good brother to my sister or a good, you know, son to my parents or a good uh, citizen to my fellow community members or any of that. It doesn't have any bearing on all of those things, which are the things that actually matter. But somehow there is this kind of uphill climb towards being right to feeling right uh, with all of that stuff, you know, to being able to point to the things that actually matter and say, oh, that's going to be my measure and not the um, vanity related things or the material related things. I mean, you've already said this, but I, just to make make it even more explicit, in no shape or form are we saying that being sensitive or going bald are things to be ashamed of, but rather that we notice in ourselves a certain awareness of the consequences of those things. Like, we perceive there to be consequences yeah. in our world yeah. of being these things. They're not things to be ashamed of, and yet they're things that we feel ashamed of. Feeling feelings of shame for things that aren't shameful is a problem. I mean, that's sort of the bottom line, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what you're speaking to now is the, uh, the self-pitying, the wallowing part of shame, uh, which is, I don't know, this sort of masochistic enjoyment of feeling bad or whatever and you want and and the desire for like <laughs> confirmation and companionship in that just to that point yeah. eric i feel like it's the only redemption we have if you really believe mm-hmm. that you aren't worth a damn yeah the only fair and just thing is to treat yourself as if you're not worth a damn yeah right it, it feels it's not even that it does uh, believe me it's not particularly enjoyable mm-hmm. to speak to yourself as if you were like just a, a wretched piece of shit mm-hmm. but it it feels redeeming in some way because like well that's what i deserve yeah but here's the tough thing what we have to do and i'm being you know proscriptive here is to be able to see ourselves truly and admit that We've done shitty things without then taking the, the leap of saying, I am irredeemably a piece of shit, yeah. right? Um, one thing is true and the other one actually isn't true because you have to be able to admit one's failures and at the same time retain the, uh, the sense of inherent worth that you have as a human being. There is no way I was going to do that. Yeah. I was going to be capable of doing that alone. Yeah. 
You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, hear, sure. I hear what you're saying, and yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, fundamentally, at the end of the day, that's where we have to, that's the place we have to get. Mm-hmm. We have to get to at least just as strong a belief in our nobility mm-hmm. as we have belief in our perversity <laughs> or <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Like it has to, that you have to come to a point where it like, it, it kind of cancels itself out in some way. Yeah. But to get to that point, Eric, like if it weren't for the handful of you that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have gotten there. Yeah. And uh, you're not, you're certainly yeah. not unique in that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what human beings are supposed to do for each other is, you know, to, uh, to help hold each other up when we can't hold ourselves up, you know? Getting old, where's the shame in that? Oh, man. Getting old. Where's the shame in that? Where's the shame in getting old? It isn't actually in getting old. It's in no longer being young, which is a different thing. What I mean by that is reflecting on all the time and opportunities that I wasted. Like, I feel shame about that. I don't feel so much shame about being older, thinking about getting old. I mean, yeah, there's all the vanity stuff, right? But yeah. the, re- the, the deeper feeling of shame is in looking back and being like, oh, shit, I, I really should have done that. <laughs> I really should have taken advantage of that thing. I really shouldn't have said that to that person on that day. I really, you know, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and I'm talking about yeah. times where I actually knew better. I mean, there's re- there's the regret of not knowing better at the time, but there's nothing you can do about that. Like you can you can only know what you know. But yeah, that was also my reaction. <laughs> the, the the times when you actually did know better and just didn't do the thing you knew you were supposed to do, or did the thing you knew you weren't weren't supposed to do, you know. And having yeah. the faculties now to make different decisions in those same situations, you know, that's the sh- that for me the shame in getting old is like looking back and making those kind of uh, those evaluations about my younger self that are, you know, shameful. Because I know you Mm -hmm. the way that I do, I have no doubt that there are a lot of situations where you knew better. (laughs) All right. I, I do know. But when I was thinking about myself in that same context, I was like, you know, I don't. I can't really stress too much about that because I know I didn't know better. <laughs> like I was wow, doing the best nice. I could. <laughs> I really, I, I don't. Like I, that is one, one really, I think, very helpful realization that I've uh-huh. come to. Like, I did a lot of shitty things. I did a lot of things that I, I, I regret, but I can't regret them too much <laughs> because I, I also know that I was just doing the best with what I had. Yeah. So. Um, but I hear that. Yeah. There's a difference between shame about getting old and shame about no longer being young. Yeah. People use shame in different ways. Like we use that word in, in a variety of different contexts. And essentially what we're referring to when we talk about shame is the belief that there is something fundamentally broken, defective, flawed in us that makes us less than human. 
and that and that kind of makes us undeserving of compassion and mm-hmm. kindness. Yeah. When this um this idea first came up to do an episode about shame, the reason why it seemed oh yeah, of course, that's a obviously great idea for an episode was because I recognize that shame is a pretty central instrument in the maintenance of masculine persona ideals standards or whatever and when you speak of um how how did you put it a deficit in you that makes you feel less than human or regard yourself as less than human um being less than a man and being less than human are kind of the same thing for men you know yeah yeah and i've certainly witnessed how that works in practice you know yeah. In in male social, you know, reality, you know. Shame and this masculine ideal are very closely linked. Mm-hmm. When you really get down to it and you kind of piece together what this ideal is generally, right, in people's minds, you're not describing a full human being. Right. You're describing certain parts of a human being and the absolute, like, elimination or denial of others. Mm-hmm. The consequences of this are what make this such an important issue. Yeah. There is another aspect of shame or another a usage of shame that uh, that's important to acknowledge that isn't the thing that we're talking about here. Because we're not saying that there are no moral standards and that the kind of um, ethical or moral dimension of shame has no place. We're not saying that everybody should feel fine about everything that they do, regardless of what it is, but that there are these sort of false standards that we raise to the level of being something shameful when they aren't, because they don't have any true moral or ethical import at all. So, you know, just wanted to to clarify that. Yeah, no, I I think... To be able to recognize that something that we've done has harmed somebody mm-hmm. or something that we've done was was wrong is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the most redeeming things that we have right, right. <laughs> as, a, as humanity. Yeah. We are, we're able to recognize, oh, something that I did had an unintended impact. But then it's, And it's very different from then concluding that because I did this thing that mm-hmm. I'm am no longer deserving of being treated in a dignified and humane way. Yeah. Right? We obviously want for us men to be responsible for our actions, to make amends when necessary, to recognize harm when when we've committed it. But we also want men to begin recognizing where they still hold where they still hold shame. We want women to to recognize where they're holding shame and how that shame is diminishing their ability to care for themselves and care for their loved ones. Mm -hmm. We're not experts in this, but one thing that we're pretty convinced about is that um, shame becomes smaller when it gets exposed to caring friendship. Yeah.
So this is the last episode of season one of Two Watermelons in the Sack. Yes. Yeah, it is. Well, we're here. We did it. And we're going to take a break, but we'll be back. But before we leave you, we um, wanted to just share a few thoughts with you. Yeah, we'll try to make this quick. (laughs) So first of all, when we made this podcast, we did so with the intention of it making us better, regardless of who liked it, who listened to it. We wanted to engage in a process that would help us. Help us grow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think we achieved that. Yeah. Some of the things that stood out for me as far as that goes is like, I mean, the conversations with our dads was that episode was definitely something that changed our lives in like, it, it sounds like a big kind of thing to put it that way, but, but for doing this podcast, we wouldn't have had those conversations at all. And yeah. they were actually pretty significant in altering the course of our relationships with our dads. I think that's true. Yeah. You know, another example is the conversation you and I had about our friendship, though. What do you think of me thing? Like, I think, I think, Eric, you know, we may have called each other friends prior to the podcast, but I was thinking, I think that this is when it really happened for me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's when a real friendship started developing. It it leveled up for sure. It leveled up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so I think that, um, yeah, there are a lot of things that we said in season one that we probably wouldn't say now. There are a lot of things that we did that we probably might do differently or not do at all. Um, mm-hmm. That's also some growth. But I yeah. think overall, really grateful for what we got out of the process. And we hope yeah. that those of you that tuned in also got something for yourselves as well. Yeah, and speaking of gratitude, we really want to thank our friends, Liz and Delta, for their contribution for the episode on male-female friendships. And also all of the guys who contributed to the Who Really Knows You episode. Yeah. Um, all the guys that, you know, were part of some of the episodes, the guys that checked up on us and made sure that the podcast was actually happening. Yeah. So there's a huge community of, of men um, that have been a huge support to us during mm-hmm. this whole process. Yeah. So, season two, what can people expect from the next iteration? Ooh, well, they can expect to be surprised because we're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we'll be honest and transparent. We don't actually know what we're going to do for season two. We know we're going to do a season two, though. So, uh, you can be assured of that. But this is an exploratory, you know, thing for us you know we're trying to be as as open and honest as we can be which means that plans don't always you know go the way you think they're going to but we're going to reflect on our lives on lives of the people in our lives and come up with some good juicy exploratory beautiful stuff for y'all yeah it'll sound better too you know, I think yeah, that we'll, sure. it'll be a much, a much more refined product. Yeah, making podcasts like this is kind of a, a different set of skills than when we had when we first started. And we have some amazing help. Sharaf and Whistle, um, Saman, people that have been helping with kind of refine what we're putting out there and make it sound beautiful. Yeah. I think also what, what you all should know is that season one was a very personal thing for us. Mm. A lot of it revolved around our lives, our experience, questions that were important to us, 
conversations that Eric and I needed to have. And season two will will still be personal. I don't think we'd create something that wouldn't be. But I think that one of the things that we are going to be trying to do is to really draw more from our community, to involve more voices, more perspectives. And um, I think it will certainly be fun for us. <laughs> well, that's that's our hope anyway. Yeah. I mean, can't make any that's guarantees true. about that either. Uh, so with that, I think we'll, uh, you know, bid y'all farewell for now. Follow us on social media. We're still going to be putting out some kind of content or other there. So, um, you know, Instagram is, is where to find us. Instagram at Two Watermelons in a Sack. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. That's where you can listen to the episodes. The whole like, follow, subscribe, share is an annoying thing to ask. And at the same time, you know, we made this podcast to, to be of service to people. And uh, we need help making sure that it reaches the people that it, that it needs to. So um, help us out with that. Eric, can you take us out? <laughs> His name is Jason. My name is Eric. Amy Loader both produces the hell out of the show, but is also our silent third author. You know, we're the voices that you hear here, but her voice is also very much present in the show. So from the three of us, we love y'all. Catch you next time. Sharaf Entwistle is our editor and sound magician. The music was created by The Essay Question, which includes Salman Abudiat and myself, with additional music by It's Just Mikey, and our beautiful logo and website were designed by Nicole Correa. 